Welcome to the 172nd podcast and the 142nd as a city on a hill church. Pastor Mike continues in Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, and brings the second part of his series, God's Beloved Vineyard, with a subtitle of Bearing Good Fruit in the Church. Just as he did for Israel, God has given his church everything it needs to serve him and prosper wherever he plants it. Israel failed, and it's up to us, his church, to guard ourselves against a similar failure as we follow the admonitions in these verses. Here is Pastor Michael Clark. Okay, if you would open up your Bibles, please, to John chapter 15. John 15 is where we're going to start here. And if you weren't here on Wednesday night, I encourage you to listen to the sermon from last Wednesday. We've been teaching here through the book of Isaiah. And this is actually part two of the message that I taught here Wednesday. So uh, part one was Isaiah chapter five, verses one to seven. And the message was entitled God's Beloved Vineyard, part one. And this is, uh, that was looking at Israel as the vineyard of God. Uh, Isaiah chapter five, we'll look at that in just a minute. But the, the message on Wednesday, um, God's Beloved Vineyard Part 1. And if you didn't hear it, I encourage you to listen to it. But uh, this is God's Beloved Vineyard Part 2. And um, we are going to look at the New Testament, bearing good fruit in the New Testament versus bearing good fruit uh, uh, in the Old Testament. The call to bear good fruit was to Israel. Now we are called uh, God's Beloved Vineyard in the New Testament. And we are also called to bear good fruit. So John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8, I'll read it to you here. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned." Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. Now, this is interesting because if if we were in downtown Los Angeles or downtown uh, New York or uh, downtown San Francisco, uh, uh, people may not have any idea about agriculture. I mean, they just never have seen agriculture. They go to the grocery store and buy their, ag- you know, buy their fruits and vegetables and so forth. 
But out here in Visalia, this is very applicable, isn't it, uh, to, to the uh, culture here, the agrarian culture that's, that, that is uh, pervasive here uh, in the San Joaquin Valley with all of the orchards and all of the fields. Uh, we had the, the fields uh, that were sown in the spring with the alfalfa. And I uh, am told that that alfalfa is for the dairy cattle and they, they grow their alfalfa and then they harvest it and feed it to their dairy cattle here. Uh, and then those, those fields are replanted with corn and uh, the corn uh, started out as little tiny green shoots and now it's all the way up here. And, uh, and so uh, you guys understand this better than probably most people would, the idea of the laws of agriculture. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, and he's talking about uh, his, uh, himself being the vine and we being uh, the vine and we being the branches that grow out of him, that grow out of the vine. Now, in Isaiah chapter 5, again, uh, God was talking to Israel about their responsibility to be uh, his people and to bear fruit for him. And uh, they failed. The nation of Israel failed to do this. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and he cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. Verse 7, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. And then he goes on for the rest of the chapter to uh, bring forth judgments and woes against the house of Israel with more description and definition and detail of the sins that they were committing against God. The fruit that they were bearing was bad fruit uh, before God and before man. And uh, God was looking for good fruit. He was looking for uh, justice and he was looking for righteousness. A, a people should reflect their God. And really, we do reflect our God. We reflect the God that we worship. And a man becomes like that which he worships. And so if we are worshiping uh, the true God, the true and living God, the God who created the, the universe, the heavens and the earth and everything in it, uh, the God that is uh, described for us uh, in, our, in our Bibles, if, if we claim to be his people, we should reflect his nature and his character. And when we don't reflect his nature and his character, there is a problem. It's a contradiction. If we're his people, we should reflect him and what he is like. And Israel uh, failed, obviously, uh, to do this. Matthew 21, we also looked at this on, uh, on Wednesday night as Jesus was basically 
pronouncing that the, the vineyard was going to be given to another steward and taken away from Israel. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 33, I'll read it to you. And I'm going to cover a whole bunch of scriptures. That you may want to just write these down and look them up later because I've got them marked out in my Bible and we're going to be turning to a lot of scriptures here this morning. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 33. Here another parable, Jesus says. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, and dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers, and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers, that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, uh, killed one, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? So Jesus was pronouncing a judgment upon the leaders of the house of Israel. At this point, the leaders of the house of Judah, uh, the priesthood was corrupt to the core. Uh, uh, Caiaphas and the rest, these guys were uh, bleeding the people dry. They were making it difficult for the people to get access to God. That's why Jesus overturned the money changers tables twice, not once, but twice, because they were ripping the people off. They were overcharging the people. They were charging inflated prices for the sacrificial animals. Somebody could come and bring their own lamb and the priest would inspect it and inevitably find a blemish or a fault with the lamb. And you'd have to buy their lamb that was twice as expensive that was already uh, pre-picked by the priest as being acceptable as an offering to God. Same thing with the doves and the bulls and so forth. And so, uh, and they were, they were, uh, taking the currency, the Roman currency, and exchanging it for the temple uh, shekels and so forth, the, the, the temple money, and they were ripping the people off with the exchange rates that they were charging them. Uh, in other words, if you came in with $1, they'd say that your dollar from, from Rome only buys 50 cents here with uh, our currency of the, of the temple uh, currency, the shekels, and so forth. And so uh, they were they, they were misrepresenting God to the people. They were ripping the people off. They were making it cumbersome for the people and expensive for the people to have access to God. And so Jesus is is just basically calling them out with this parable. And of course, the vineyard is is the people of God. The vineyard is Israel. We know this from the scripture in Isaiah chapter five. Among and there are other scriptures also that talk about the vineyard being Israel and Judah. But it's really the uh, managers, the vine dressers, the stewards, those who were overseeing the vineyard that Jesus is bringing uh, his judgment. So if you want to see the vineyard as God's people, that's a good way to look at it. God's people are Israel here and the Jews and Judah, God's people. Uh, and, and so he is taking the stewardship of his people away from these priests and this priesthood and this corrupt system uh, of religion that had become established in Jerusalem, and he is going to give the stewardship to a different people, which is, of course, speaking of uh, the church. Again, the vine dressers, he says, uh, they they beat up his uh, servants, they killed his servants, 
uh, they, they, the, the, the landowner sent his son to them. And of course, the landowner would be a picture of God the Father. The son would be a picture of Jesus Christ. Uh, and they, and they planned to kill Jesus. And of course, this was right before they did kill Jesus. The, 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 the leaders there, the Jewish leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, and the priests were all conspiring with Rome to have Jesus executed. Uh, and this was the last week of Jesus' life. So he was basically giving them a parable about what they were doing to him and what they were about to do to him. And he knew it. And so he asked them with this parable, you know, what, what would you do? What, what should the owner do? Uh, of the vineyard, if these men are so evil and so corrupt that are basically trying to uh, take the vineyard for themselves. And here was their answer to Jesus as to what should be done with them. In verse 41 of Matthew 21, he says, they said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. And so they pronounced their own judgment against themselves. These were the ones who were the corrupt ones who were running uh, the temple and so forth and, and bleeding the people dry and making it difficult for the people to get to God. Uh, and they were about to kill the son of the owner, the one who planted the vineyard. And, and they pronounced a judgment upon themselves that the owner of the vineyard should destroy those wicked men miserably, should lease the vineyard out to other vine dressers, and then to look for good fruit from the new vine dressers. And so Jesus said to them, have you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it was marvelous in our eyes. So He is the chief cornerstone who they were rejecting. He was the stone of Daniel chapter 2 whose kingdom will one day fill the whole earth like a mountain and crush all of the other kingdoms that came before Him. And they've rejected the chief cornerstone. Verse 43, Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And so that was the judgment upon Israel. If you want to look at the vineyard here as defined as the kingdom of God, I think you're on pretty safe biblical ground because uh, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is what He's talking about here uh, with the vineyard. It's going to be taken away from you, the leaders of Israel who were corrupt and who were making it difficult for the people and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And of course, they didn't just kill Jesus. They killed the prophets they locked the prophets up in, in, in jail. They listened to the false prophets. They refused to listen to the true prophets. God continued to call out to them, to call them back to Himself. Uh, and, and, and they would reject, the leaders would reject uh, the people that God was sending. And so then God sent His Son. They rejected Him. And then Jesus says, the kingdom of God is going to be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. So this is now coming to the church, the Jews and the Gentiles that make up the church because Israel failed to bring forth good fruit. God took Israel. He set them aside. He, he's going to save Israel one day. All of Israel will be saved one day, Paul the Apostle tells us in the book of Romans. Uh, Israel uh, is, is set aside now because of unbelief nationally. Of course, Jews and Gentiles are the church. We all make up the church. But there still is a separate nation of Israel that God is going to save. Jesus is going to come back and save the Jews from the Antichrist um, when He comes back at the second coming. But they've been set aside for now. And now the kingdom of God is given to 
uh, the church. Jesus says in verse 44, whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Remember, he's the chief cornerstone. So if you fall on Jesus, he'll break you and he'll save you. But if you refuse to fall upon Jesus for your salvation, he will crush you into dust. He came to be our Savior. The first time that He came, He came as the Savior of the world. He's still the Savior of the world. But He's going to come back as the judge of the world. And He's going to come back very, very soon. We could see the handwriting on the wall uh, all around us. Now, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard the parables, they perceived that He was speaking of them. So they understood. They got the message. Jesus was very bold. He was not afraid of these men. Uh, but He knew that they were going to kill Him. And, uh, and they realized that uh, Jesus was speaking of them, uh, and indeed, He was speaking of them. Now, there's an interesting um, little uh, story before this in verse 18 about the fig tree being cursed. Matthew 21, verse 18, Now in the morning as He returned to the city, He was hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the road, He came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And He said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. Now, most Bible scholars, and I, I think are, are correct, in that they see the fig tree as a type or a picture or a metaphor or an allegory of the nation of Israel. And you could make that argument from the Old Testament. We won't take the time today to look at it. Uh, so when Jesus is saying there's no fruit on this fig tree, symbolic of Israel, he came to it. He was hungry. He was looking for fruit. There was no fruit on it, but there was only leaves on it that he cursed it uh, and it would never grow fruit again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. And some people have said, well, that wasn't very nice of Jesus, the poor fig tree. What did it really do? It had leaves, right? But the, the point of it is, is that the fig tree should have had fruit on it at this point. Uh, in Israel today, at, at that time of the year, the April or, or late March, early April, uh, the time of the uh, of the early spring, the fig trees uh, do have fruit on them before the leaves actually come in, into full uh, bloom. And so uh, you would expect that if it was a normal, regular fruit uh, fig tree, it would be producing fruit at this time. And instead, there was no fruit. There was only leaves on it. And uh, fig leaves are, are, are you know, uh, uh, go all the way back to the, the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve wanted to cover up their, their nakedness and their shame with, with fig leaves instead of uh, uh, with the, the sacrifice that God would provide for them. So it's religion, basically. It's any way that man tries to either access God on his own or tries to build a religious system uh, that of works and so forth and legalism uh, it, it's it, it's not acceptable to God. God wants to see the fruit that is worthy uh, of Him. Now, in Isaiah chapter 11, we read that Jesus is a branch and a rod that's going to grow and bear fruit. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 says this, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge 
and the fear of the Lord. Now, this is a prophecy of Jesus. It's a prophecy, Old Testament prophecy of the coming Messiah. And the Messiah was, was often called the branch in the scriptures. We did a study about that a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night. Uh, but this here is telling us that this, uh, this branch is going to be a shoot in 11, uh, uh, 1, that it's a shoot or a rod that's going to come forth from Jesse. Jesse was David's father. David was the king who God promised, I'm going to make, build you a house, David, that will last forever. One of your seed will sit on my throne forever. And so the messianic line came through King David and uh, of, of the tribe of Judah. And so this rod is coming forth from the stem of Jesse and a branch is growing out of its roots. So this is speaking of Jesus. This is a branch that is Jesus that is going to grow out of the uh, shoot of, of Jesse or the roots of Jesse, King David. So this is speaking of, uh, to some degree, a, a vineyard that Jesus, that God himself is going to plant at another time. The Messiah is going to come and he is going to grow up and he is going to bear fruit. Now in Revelation 22, we know that this is speaking of, of Jesus. He says this. Jesus says this in Revelation 22.12. He says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to eat of the tree of life and they may enter through the gates into the city. But outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers, and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices a lie or lying. And then Jesus says again in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. And so Jesus is saying that was me in Isaiah chapter 11, that was going to come forth from Jesse, not only am I the offspring of David, the shoot that is growing up out of Jesse, but I am the root of David. I'm the one who created David. I'm the one that was there before David was even around. I'm the root, the source of David, and I am the offspring of David. The bright and the morning star. Interestingly, that Jesus says, in verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. These are titles only for God. And so when the cults come to your door and the Jehovah's Witnesses tell you Jesus is not God, just show them this Scripture and say, well, what do you, what do, you do with this here? I mean, there's a whole bunch of Scriptures you could turn them to about Jesus being God. Uh, Jesus forgave sins. Only God can forgive sins. That's why they got so angry at Jesus when he uh, forgave the sins of the paralyzed man. Who are you to, to forgive sins? And Jesus says, so that you know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins on earth, I say to you, rise up and walk, because he had told the man his sins were forgiven. And then the man rose up, the paralyzed man stood up and walked and carried his mat out with him. And they were livid because Jesus was declaring himself to be God. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus forgave sins. Remember, Jesus forgave the sin of the woman who was caught in adultery. 
He says, where are your accusers, woman? She said, they're all gone. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go forth and sin no more. Jesus said, let he is who is without sin cast the first stone of the woman caught in adultery. And they all left. All the men that were surrounding her to stone her to death from the oldest to the youngest, they left. Jesus had written something with His finger uh, in the dirt, perhaps listing their specific sins or putting their names down in their sins. Uh, and so Jesus was the only one who was without sin in that crowd. He who is without sin can cast the first stone. That was Jesus, no one else. And Jesus chose not to stone her to death. He forgave her and saved her. So uh, uh, Jesus is God. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And Jesus is the Son of God, and He is God the Son. Now back in John chapter 15 and verse 1, we read this as we go back into where we started here about Jesus being the vine and we being His branches. John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. Jesus also said at one point, I am the true light. What what does that mean? It means there's going to be false lights out there. There'll be those who will come claiming to be light, give enlightenment, but it's a lie. They're deceiving you. And so Jesus says, I am the true light. I am the true vine, indicating that there will be false vines or false religious systems that will shoot up uh, that will not be true. But he says, I'm the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Jesus says, I don't do anything except what the Father does, what I've seen Him do. I only say the things that my Father uh, has said. I only do the things my Father has done. I always do the, the will of my Father, Jesus said. He's always representing His Father. My Father's the vine dresser. Verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And that could be translated washes, actually. And uh, instead of takes away. It's an interesting translation from the original. And apparently in Israel, especially um, you know, uh, at, at times where, where things were not necessarily, everything was not developed agriculturally in Israel, uh, they, they would plant their, their grape vines and their vineyards and so forth, and often they would just grow all over the place. Uh, and so you would have these these vines that would be growing along the ground and they'd be laying in the ground and it would get uh, rained on and they would just kind of sit. Uh, the vine would be laying in the in the mud and in the dirt. And so the vine dresser would go and he would take those vines that are laying in the dirt and in the mud and he would lift them up and he would wash them, carefully wash them and clean them. And then he would put them on a, a stake or a post or he would put the vine onto a rock and prop it up on a rock so that it would be clean and so that it would be off the ground away from the insects and the mud and the dirt and the water that would uh, come from the rains and it would be able to bear more fruit. The idea is that uh, the vine dresser is trying to uh, bring forth more fruit from his vineyard. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away or he washes, raises it up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And so, what was God looking for from Israel? He was looking for fruit. What is God looking for from the church, from the New Testament? He's looking for fruit. God's always looking for fruit. Why did Jesus curse the fig tree? Because there was no fruit on it. It was a pretender. It just had leaves, but no fruit. It was a phony. And He cursed it. He's looking for fruit in our lives. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. And you all know this, that agriculturally you have to prune back your fruit trees or you know your rose bushes or so forth so that they will bear more fruit. Verse 3, he says, you're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now again, this is the New Testament church and this is a, a, a vineyard that he's talking of and is speaking of us as being his vineyard. Uh, he's the vine and we're growing out of him. Uh, he's the branch. He's the shoot that came forth from Jesse. And so um, there are some who do not believe that the vineyard has any application uh, to the church. I would disagree. I think that, that, that this is, uh, uh, as it were, a new vineyard. Uh, Israel was kind of uh, put aside, set aside, and Jesus is, is, is growing a new vineyard uh, of his kingdom, of his people, and that's the church. And he says, you're clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Paul the Apostle says that you uh, wash, husbands, wash your wives with the water of the word. And so the word of God, the word of God washes us. The word of God cleanses us. Um, a sister came up to me a, a, a week or two ago and thanked me for the sermon on Wednesday night and said, I feel like I just got washed by the, by the water of the Word of God, refreshed and washed by the, by the Word of God. And that's, that's really how it is for us. We are clean by the Word of God. It washes us. It cleanses us. He says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, abide simply means to occupy or to remain in or to stay put or to stay within. It's not rocket science. Jesus is saying, if you uh, abide in me, you remain in me, you, 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 you occupy until I come, you reside in me, you stay in me. He says, you're going to bear fruit. But, apart from me, you're not going to bear any fruit. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me, bear fruit. So we, we see that in the last days, there will be those who are claiming to be Christians who are not going to be abiding uh, in, in Christ. In 1 Timothy, in chapter 4, this is called the falling away or the departing from the faith. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 Paul the Apostle says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times or in the last days or the end times, some will depart from the faith. Now depart is the opposite of abide, isn't it? Depart means to not stay put, to not occupy, to not reside in. Uh, you know, if it's, if it's raining outside and you're not abiding inside the building, you're going to be getting wet in the rain because you're not abiding in the house. You're not abiding inside the building. And so in the last days... Some will depart from the faith. They're going to depart from the faith, not abide in Christ, not abide in the faith, giving heed to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Uh, Paul also wrote to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3, speaking of the last days, the end times, the tribulation period, and the Antichrist, he says, Let no one deceive you by any means, 2 Thessalonians 2 3, for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first. The falling away comes first. So people have said, Well, I think God's going to do a big revival in the last days. 
you know, one last great harvest of souls before Jesus Christ comes back for His church. I would hope that that would be the case. I would pray for that to be the case. But I don't know that the Bible necessarily teaches that that will be the case. Actually, the Bible does not predict a great worldwide revival right before the rapture of the church or right before the end times. It talks about a great falling away, the opposite of a revival. A great departing from the faith, falling away from the faith. And Jesus says, uh, don't depart from Me. Abide in Me. Remain in Me. Occupy until I come. And then you will bear much fruit because we're in Him. He's in us. How could we but bear good fruit? How could we not bear good fruit if we are abiding in Him and He is empowering us and He is living His life through us through the person of the Holy Spirit? He says in John 15.5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in Me and I in him bears much fruit, for without Me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in Me, departing from the faith in the last days, the great apostasy that's going to come. If anyone does not abide in Me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. That's not a good place to be if you think you're a Christian. And these people think they're Christians. Obviously. Uh, they think that they are branches uh, growing out of the vine. And Jesus is saying you're not. You know, you're, you're, you're a worker of iniquity. You're just doing your own thing. You're a hypocrite. And, and he says, and these branches are going to, if they're not abiding in me, they're going to be cast as a branch and they're going to be burned in the fire. But in verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. What was God looking for from Israel? Good fruit. What is Jesus looking for from His church? Good fruits. And, and so, the key is to abide in Christ. He says, if you abide in Me and My words abide in you. And so, part of abiding in Christ, I could say, well, how do I know if I'm abiding in Christ? Well, are you abiding in the Word? Are you staying in the Word of God? Are you seeking to please God with your life? Are you seeking to obey God? Are you seeking to do, be doers of the Word and not hearers only of God's Word? And if you're, if you're doing this, you're abiding in Christ according to Jesus. His words are abiding in you. And then you're going to bear much fruit for Him. And He says, uh, then you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Uh, this was for the disciples, Jesus is telling, telling them this. He's saying, you know, if you do this, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, uh, give you what you ask for. You will ask what you desire. It shall be done for you. But those are the disciples who have taken up their cross and followed Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after Me, if anyone wishes to be My disciple, He says, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow Me. The cross is symbolic of crucifixion and mortification of the flesh. Dying with Christ so that we might be raised with Christ. And so, uh, to be a disciple, in, in order to qualify yourself as a disciple here, you have to be one, and I have to be one, who is saying, not my will, but thy will be done. I'm willing to take up my cross and deny myself and follow Jesus, whatever the cost. And then Jesus says, now you're my disciple, and now you could ask whatever you desire, and I'll give it to you. Why? Because your desires are going to be His desires, and His desires are going to be your desires. If you pray anything according to the will of the Father, Jesus says you have your prayers answered. 
In Matthew chapter 7, this is all about bearing fruit. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this, Sermon on the Mount here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, about bearing fruit. He says, Beware of the false prophets who will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Wolves in sheep's clothing in the church. He's warning His people. Beware of the false prophets. Come in in, in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Obviously not. Even so, every tree bears good fruit. Every good tree, rather, bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them, or you will know them by their fruits. So Jesus is looking for good fruit, and He says you're able to identify others by their fruit. As a matter of fact, if you go back to uh, the first couple of verses of chapter 7, Jesus says, judge not that you not be judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank that's in your own eye? And how could you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, there's a plank in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so, uh, we are not to judge one another. Judge not lest you be judged. We're not to judge one another unto hell or judge one another to condemn anybody else like we're somebody and they're not. I'm better than somebody else. I'm more righteous or more holy or you know, more studious or more devoted or, or, or whatever where you begin to look down on other people because you're judging them by yourself. Uh, Jesus says we're not to do that. But we are to judge for the purpose of identification to know if somebody's a Christian or not. Jesus says you could judge their fruit. And that's for identification. It's not to say, oh, this person's a terrible person or they're, you know, they're a wicked person or they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh, it probably is that also, but it's, it's so that you can, can know who's who. You can know what's what. Because wolves in sheep's clothing, uh, pretend to be sheep in sheep's clothing. They don't pretend to be wolves. Uh, goats look a lot like the sheep. And, and so uh, Jesus says, you know, um, you will know them by the fruits that, that come out of their lives. For identification, not to judge people, not to condemn people to hell. That's God's job. But just to identify whether or not they're abiding in Christ. He says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, or you workers of iniquity, or you who just do whatever you want to do, and not do what God wants to, what wants you to do. And so, uh, these are those who are paying lip service. They think they're Christians. They say they're Christians, but the fruit of their lives do not identify them as Christians at all. They're producing bad fruit in their lives. 
Uh, the fruit would be their words and their actions. We don't know the heart or the mind, but out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you know what comes out of their mouth is from their heart. So you could identify them by their words. But people can deceive you with their words. As Jesus says, there will be many or not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. So people will, will deceive, try and deceive with their words. They'll speak Christianity. Uh, but he says, but I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So the other way that we identify fruit is by their actions, words and actions. We don't know the heart of the mind, uh, but God does, and he, he reveals. He says this in verse 24, Matthew 7, 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, so hearing the Word of God and then obeying it for myself, hearing the Word of God, hearing a sermon, saying, Lord, speak to me through your Word, Speak to me through this sermon, and then I'm going to do what God tells me to do. Whoever hears these sayings of mine, or hears my word, and does them, or obeys them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, or hears my word, and does not do it, or do them, those who disobey the Word of God. He says, He will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended. The floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So oftentimes the storms of our lives reveal really what foundation it is that we're building upon. And Jesus says, very simple. If you, if you say that you are my disciples, you should obey me. You should follow my commandments. What are his commandments? Love God and love your neighbor. Very simple. Not easy, but it's very simple. A child can understand it. And his commandments are not burdensome to us. We want to learn to please God and we want to please him as his people. We love him. So you'll know a tree by its fruit. Now, in Matthew 13, Jesus also talks about a, 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 a picture of seed that is sown in a field that is sown and what happens to the seed when it grows parable of the sower i'll read it to you matthew 13 verse 3 behold a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth but when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, we could speculate if Jesus didn't give us the uh, explanation uh, or the definition of what he was uh, describing here as a parable, then we would speculate. We don't have to speculate because Jesus tells us exactly what he meant by this parable later in the chapter. In verse 18 of Matthew 13, Jesus tells us what the parable means. He says, Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. 
For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bear fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So again, these are all agricultural references to this culture that they would have understood that he's uh, kind of transposing onto the church and onto the kingdom of God and onto God's people. And uh, it is interesting that he says that those who receive the seed, seed being the word of God or the gospel message, uh, among the thorns, he did receive it, he accepted it, it got planted, but it got choked out by the thorns. The thorns sprang up and choked it out. And, and he says, uh, the thorns are this, the cares of this world are being caught up with the things of this world and not for the things of God. The deceitfulness of riches, going after money, 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 always wanting more, always needing bigger stuff, newer stuff. And uh, it's, a, it's a real danger in an affluent and prosperous society that the church not get corrupted by money and God's people not be choked out uh, by the love of money and the deceitfulness of riches. And so somebody could be saved and be completely unfruitful because they're too wrapped up in the cares of this world and the things of this world and not concerned and totally committed to the things of God and Christ. Now in Luke 21, Jesus also uh, speaking here about His second coming talks about this. He says in Luke 21, verse 29, we'll read it to you. It says, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and you know for yourself that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And so again, if, if the fig tree uh, is Israel, uh, and Jesus said in Matthew 24 um, that, that the fig tree is going to blossom in the last days. And so people, uh, Bible scholars, uh, believe that perhaps that's a prophecy related to Israel becoming a nation again in 1948, which uh, certainly is a sign of the end times that Israel is a nation again because Jesus Christ is going to come back to save the Jews in Jerusalem. So there had to be Jews in Jerusalem for Jesus to come back and save them. Well, for 2,000 years, there were really no Jews in Jerusalem from 70 AD, really 132 AD when the Emperor Hadrian scattered them around the world. They were um, a wandering people all the way until the Zionist movement of the early 20th century, the Balfour Declaration after World War I, uh, after the Britons took over the Ottoman Empire, and then they ended up giving the world after the Holocaust, gave the land of Israel to the Jews uh, because they had mercy and compassion. They felt sorry for the Jews after what Hitler tried to do in eradicating the Jews through the Holocaust. And so uh, the fig tree has blossomed. It's come back. It's budding. And so Jesus says, no, Summer's near, and when you see all these things happening, all of the prophecies that he's talked about earlier in the chapter 
uh, you know that the kingdom of God is near. So we're the generation, we're seeing all these things happen, know that the time is near. He's coming back soon. He says that generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Now, he says this in verse 34. He says, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So many of us believe that this is an illusion. He's alluding to the rapture of the church, which was a mystery. At the time Jesus was speaking this, it was a mystery. It was later revealed to Paul the Apostle, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the rapture, the catching up of the church. Uh, and, and that Jesus is saying, you know, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. What things? The things of the tribulation period that he had just detailed earlier in the chapter. But again, the thorns, the weeds that choke out the word that you not be weighed down, verse 34, with carousing, partying, you know, out there partying and living it up and sleeping around and all the things that the world is doing, carousing, drunkenness, consumed with the cares of this life, choking out the fruitfulness, not producing the fruit that Jesus is looking for because of these thorns and weeds that are choking out the fruit. As a matter of fact, John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, in verse 15, to the Christians, this is all to the Christians, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Doing the will of God is doing what God reveals is His will through His Word. Obedience to His Word. But He's saying, don't love the world. And if you do love this world, the love of the Father is not in you because the world is contradictory to the love of the Father. This world is on a you know, collision course to hell and just barreling along. And, and, and so we're not to be, we're to be in this world, but not of the world. We're to be those who are traveling lightly through this world, that our focus is the next life, the next world, not this life, not this world. This is not our priority. Our priority is heaven, the world that is to come, the eternal things that never pass away. This world is going to burn. Everything is going to burn in this world someday. Even the whole universe is going to burn. And God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And so we should not be bogged down with the love of the things of this world, the lust of the flesh, always wanting to satisfy and pleasure our flesh, the lust of the eyes, looking at things, I want that, I want that, I covet this, I want that, I'm never satisfied with what I have, I always want something else, and the pride of life, thinking I'm somebody when I'm nobody. My my, uh, comparison is not to you, my comparison is to Jesus, so compared to Jesus, who am I? I'm nothing. These are the things that choke out the fruitfulness of the Christian's life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, the love of money, the cares of this world, the thorns and the thistles that make us unfruitful for Jesus. 
In Galatians chapter 6, Paul says this about sowing and reaping. Verse 7, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows or plants, that also shall he reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap eternal life or everlasting life. God will not be mocked. If you're living after the flesh and this world, you're going to have to pay a price for that. It's like planting seeds. Whatever kind of seed you plant is the kind of harvest you're going to get. So if you're planting lots and lots of bad seed out there by doing a lot of things that are wrong in God's eyes, you're going to have to eat that harvest someday. It may take time. You know, you plant a seed and it doesn't grow into a walnut tree overnight. It takes years before it's going to produce walnuts. But the problem is, is that if you're planting bad seed, not only are you going to have bad fruit, but you're going to have exponentially more bad fruit than the seed that you planted. Because again, that's the laws of agriculture. You plant a couple of kernels of corn, uh, kernels of corn rather, and that, that those kernels of corn grow up into a shoot that have all of these uh, corn husks on them that have hundreds of kernels on each one of the, each one of the husks of corn. So you take two or three kernels and plant it in the ground and you end up with tens of thousands of kernels that grow from just those two or three kernels that you planted. You're always going to reap the same sort and the same kind of harvest as the seed which you plant, good or bad, and it's always going to be way more. People really, if they knew the consequences of their sins, they wouldn't practice sin. They don't understand that uh, the wages of sin is death. And ultimately, oftentimes, the price tag for our sin is way, way, way higher than we thought it was going to be or we never would have done it in the first place. But on the good side, on the positive side, if we're planting good seed, we are going to bear good fruit and it's going to be exponentially more. Some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30, Jesus said when he was talking about the parable of the sower. For the good seed, we are going to bear good fruit So back to John chapter 15 as we wrap up here. What kind of fruit is it that Jesus is looking for from His church? John 15 verse 9, Jesus says this, As the Father loved Me, I have also loved you. Abide in My love. If you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in His love, but these things I have spoken to you that my my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That's the fruit that Jesus is looking for. He's looking for love. Love for God and love for our neighbor. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, is this, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second greatest commandment is likened to the first, that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so love is what Jesus is looking for from His garden or from His vineyard. That's the fruit that He's looking for. Loving God, wanting to please God, not wanting to offend God, and loving God's people, loving one another as we love ourselves What does love look like? Galatians 5.22 says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love. So there's the fruit. 
the fruit of the Spirit is love. And what does love look like? Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of love. So to just, you know, kind of distill it down and boil it down, well, what kind of fruit should be evident in my life if I'm a Christian and I love Jesus and I'm abiding in Christ and I'm abiding in His Word and I'm being washed by the water of His Word? This is what will come forth, which will grow out from within me because it's Christ in me through the person of the Holy Spirit that's making this happen. It's not me working this out. It's me just abiding in Christ and surrendering to Christ. And then He works this out in us and through us. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And this is always a, a great list of, of character traits that we should all strive for in Christ, that we should all desire, that we should earnestly pray. Lord, make me like You. Make this uh, list like me. Make me a more joyful, more peaceable, more patient, more kind. Make me a better, more faithful, uh, a more gentle person and, and make me one who has control over myself. That's the fruit that Jesus is looking for. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church, Tehachapi, California. Mm -hmm.